I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The text that was read from Luke chapter 12, it, it appears about three times in the New Testament because it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, has reference to uh, fear. Fear not what man can do unto you, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. We have a book, and I'm going to take the liberty to believe and accept the fact that you're reading your Bible, that you're reading it either in a daily Bible reading schedule, or you're reading it through favorite passages that you like to read, or you're reading it because you have certain needs as you read the Word of God, and that you want to read certain sections of it, but I, I'm just going to believe that I'm addressing an audience that reads their Bible. And as you read the Bible, you will recognize with me that the Bible is probably the most amazing, or actually is the most amazing book in the world. There's none like it anywhere. And when you read it, you, you read it with several parts of your faculties. In other words, you read it with your intelligence as you read the Bible. You're reading stories that have historical value to them. You're reading about some scientific facts that God suspended the earth upon nothing. We didn't discover that for a long time. Humanity didn't. We're reading archaeological facts. We're reading sociological facts. We're reading all sorts of things and we're, we're using our minds and our intelligence to assimilate those facts and apply the facts to our store of, of information. So, we're reading the Bible and we're getting information. But there's something else about the Bible that is, is not common to all books. And that is that when you read this book, you not only read it with your intelligence, with your mind, you're reading it with your heart. You're getting some feelings from this book as you read it, if you do. If you're just reading it to get the facts, the bare facts, and find out about things, finding out about history, finding out about the society called Israel, finding out about the man called Jesus, and, and memorizing facts and events and so forth, uh, you're probably not gaining, as a matter of fact, I could say without any fear of hesitation that you're not gaining the full value of the book. Because the book is designed to move you emotionally. It's designed to stir up something inside you that is called the heart. And one of those emotions that we read in this text is fear. So when you read the Bible, the Bible says in this text, and there's not too many passages in the Old or New Testament that talk about fear. But when you read the, this text, it does speak of the term fear. And they're just basically two basic 
words, Hebrew and Greek, that define the word fear that really doesn't tell us a lot about them. And I'll tell you later on what pro- we have a problem with one of the words. But when we generally talk about fear, we're talking about uh, several different aspects. Fear has several in our English repertoire. Fear has several facets to it like a diamond. So it has lots of meanings in our vernacular. For instance, we can use the term fear in respect to uh, reverence or respect. We fear someone because of the station they hold, because of the position they hold. Whether it's a parent, whether it's someone who has a higher social status than we do, like the king or prince or president or senator or so forth, we use the term fear in relationship to that individual because they, they inspire that in us. Maybe even someone who's larger than us physically. And then we use the term fear by when we use the idea of, of awe or being struck by something that impresses us as being large and huge and overwhelming. For instance... A display of power. We call that when we see something like a phenomena, like a mighty storm. It's a fearful storm. Well, that's all. That's, that's when we've been impressed by something of great magnitude. An earthquake will in, uh, inspire awe in us or a waterfall, a big waterfall. These, these Im- will give us that impression. And actually, we're talking about a fear or a feeling that we call fear. It's a fearful sight. It's an awesome sight. And sometimes we use the word fear to mean an anxiety, an, an adrenaline rush. The hair stand up on, the, on your arms or the back of your neck. Elevated heart rate. Something that frightens you. That's fear. We, we know that's what that is. Uh, an impending wreck or an impending accident that we can see. Maybe someone is standing on the precipice and almost ready to fall over and, and we, we have an anxiety. Our heart rate rises. Our hands may sweat. And we, we just get a feeling of anxiety. And that happens sometimes when, when we're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. And, I, you know, we, we've uh, experienced this in the last year, haven't we? We have a pandemic among us, and, and the first time it struck, there was a great deal of anxiety. What's going to happen? What will happen to my income? What will happen to my savings? What will happen to my health? What will happen to my friends, my family, my children, my parents? What's going to happen? Is this going to overwhelm us? Is this going to destroy us as a civilization? So we had an anxiety, a high anxiety. We're in a dangerous situation. And then, fear is also, also uh, used in terms of panic. Like if we're in a building full of people and someone yells fire, that's fear, panic. We just become overwhelmed because there's a disaster facing us and we're panicked. And sometimes that's artificially created and it, it, it uh, incites a rush of adrenaline and our heart rate goes up. And uh, we all of a sudden we, we have to 
as it's called today, fight or flight. We've got to do something because we're overwhelmed with anxiety. Now, these are forms of fear. We, when we come to the Bible and talk about fear, it is imperative that we make sure that we know what we're talking about when the Bible tells us to fear. Is it, is it telling us to stand in awe and respect? Is it telling us to be anxious? Is the Bible telling us to be overwhelmed with panic? Is the Bible telling us to be respectful? What's the Bible telling us to do when it uses the term fear? Well, Psalms 19 and verse 9 says, and this is what I want to promote right away. Psalms 19 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now that word clean is translated in a couple of different ways. One way is pure. Whatever fear we're going to read about in the Bible is clean. And it's pure. It's designed for a certain purpose and it promotes a certain reaction in us. And the first thing I want to tell you is that the Bible fear is never used in the sense of creating panic. Never. So, that's one of the areas that we need to be careful of. And we'll talk about that specifically. Some forms of fear we know if we look at the, the panorama of fear before us that we use in the English language, some forms of fear are healthy. And they're good for us. For instance, a real respect for danger is good for us. We don't want to overwhelm ourselves by saying, well, we, we have no fear of anything because there's some things that are Dangerous to us that we should avoid. And when we don't avoid that danger, that pitfall, then we sometimes pay the penalty. There's some examples, and you probably know some yourself. Let me give you an old example from my youth. There was a fellow who lived down the street from us that uh, was, was sort of a naturalist. He, he liked to uh, gather up the... the uh, Local wild animals in our area. Not the flora, but the fauna. He liked, to, he, he liked to gather the wild creatures, and he had pens for them and so forth, and he had a real interest in that, and one of the major interests he had was in rattlesnakes. And so he would, he would gather rattlesnakes, and people began to understand that this guy liked rattlesnakes, and so uh, they would bring rattlesnakes to him. And he, he built a dug a big pit and put a big water tank down in it. didn't have water in it, but a big tank in the ground. And he had rattlesnakes. But he didn't fear them. As a matter of fact, he lost his respect for them. Now, he handled them and handled them and handled them, and he was bitten several times. And he finally got to the point that he thought, there's nothing to these rattlesnakes. Well, you know what happened. He was bitten and he died because he, he took an assumption that he was okay and there was no danger involved in the rattlesnake. 
we know a lot of examples like this, that people will get to the point where they, they do not have a healthy regard for danger or for things that would do them harm. There was a fellow by the name of Timothy Treadwell in the Kemai or Kemai National Park, and I'm not sure whether that's in northern Canada or it's in Alaska, but for 13 years he lived among the grizzly bears. And his attitude was that the grizzly bears would do him no harm. And in 2003, the grizzly bears mauled him and killed him because he assumed there was no danger. He became, he became inured to the danger that was around him. So fear of things that are potentially dangerous to us is good. It's good. It doesn't mean that we have to live in constant terror or intimidation by something that's dangerous, but it does mean that we need to give it a healthy respect, which he did not do. And some of you may remember the the uh, Las Vegas Act that's always has been televised for a long time. Of Siegfried and Roy, who tamed white lions and white lepers, I'm sorry, not lions, but white lepers and tigers. And in 2003, Roy was mauled by a tiger. And he never recovered. It didn't kill him, but it, of course, ended his act. So there are things like this that, that tell you what, what happened was this man disregarded the fact that this was a wild animal that was dangerous. And so he lost his fear or his respect for the power and the ferocity of that animal. And he lost his life. And some of you may have heard of the uh, flying Wallanders. You know the guys that walk on tight wires? Carl Wallander, in 1978, was walking a tightrope in a place in San Jose, Puerto Rico, between two tall buildings. He was 73 years old and had been tight wire walking since he was three years old. He fell to his death in front of cameras, TV cameras. So the world observed this man falling to his death. A healthy respect for danger is not wrong. As a matter of fact, it's clean. We should have a healthy respect for danger. And we should have a responsible respect for authority figures. For those who are in charge, such as parents and teachers, civic leaders, especially for God. Our respect for God should be, and it should be a fear. We can fear God. And that's the way the word is used in the Bible in relationship to God. One of the ways. That is, we have a respect for his authority. In Romans chapter 3 at verse 10, Paul has a list of reasons why we should, in ways we should respect God. And he says, as it is written, he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asses under their lips. Well, we're talking about a bunch of rowdy people that don't care anything about God. They're immune 
or oblivious to the danger of disrespecting God. That's basically what's going on. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Does that sound familiar? Mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Turn your TV on sometime and see if you don't get an ear full of cursing. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They're not, they're not embarrassed to kill something or someone. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No respect for God's authority. Psalms 111 and verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's when we should start learning something. A lack of respect for authority. Parents, teachers, public officials, those who are in charge socially. A a lack of fear and a lack of fear for God and respect for God is harmful. Now, I mentioned a while ago that I wanted to mention one of the words in the in the Bible that are translated fear, and something has happened that that is uh, devastating to some people because of this word. The word fear in the New Testament is from the word phobos, and that's where we get our word phobia. Now, when we use the word phobia today, we use it as a suffix to words that tell us things that we are irrationally afraid of. Now, listen to what I'm saying. The word phobia is an irrational fear of something that's not based on fact or reality. The Bible word phobia does not mean that, but we have made that word in our English language, into a word that means that you have an irrational fear of something. And we call it a phobia. Aquaphobia, an irrational fear of water. Gataphobia, an irrational fear of cats. Now, something could have happened in your history, in your life, in your childhood, that made you, that terrorized you about certain things. Uh, a fear of heights, it's called a phobia. A fear of water, a fear of fire, a fear of all sorts of things. And so we put a prefix on phobia and say this is, this is what we call an irrational fear. So you're, fear, you're afraid of spiders, arachnophobia. Well, being afraid of a spider isn't necessarily a phobia. You can be afraid of a spider just like you can be afraid of a rattlesnake. And uh, there, there are Greek terms for the, the uh, reptiles, reptile phobia and so forth, that tell us that we're, we have an irrational fear of snakes and lizards and so forth. Because, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a healthy respect for them, but it does mean that if, we're, if we have an irrational fear that we fantasize by things that are not true. And so... The phobia just builds up in us. When I, when I was a child, and I, I have to go back to some things that I'm personally familiar with, when I was a young guy, we had a biology teacher that, that liked tarantulas. You know, a tarantula is a big old black hairy spider. He'd bring some to the classroom and put them on his arm, and it'd make our flesh shudder 
and her heart rate go up, and her blood pressure could probably lift the school. It was getting so high, but he he wasn't afraid of them. But but it it was it was something that terrified us to a degree. Now we didn't have arachnophobia, but it did frighten us. So there's such a thing as scaring someone with something that's not necessarily a phobia. When a person has a phobia, they have an irrational panic over something that's imagined or dangers that could cause both physical and psychological damage. The Bible does not use the word phobia in that sense. So if you're afraid of spiders, you're not in sin. You're not fearing something that you're not supposed to be fearing. If you have a if you have a fear of dogs because you've been bitten when you're younger, canophobia, well that, that doesn't mean that you have an irrational fear of dogs. That doesn't mean that you have a phobia in that sense, but there are those who basically have phobias and they suffer from this from the physical and psychological impact of this and they really if you're in that category, you need to seek counseling to help you overcome that or medical attention. But the one thing you need to understand is you're not in sin. It's not a lack of faith in God that has created this. It's because something has gone wrong in your past that's created it or something has gone wrong in your body chemically that you cannot handle that. And so you may have a phobia, an irrational fear, a feeling of panic and anxiety that you cannot handle. So your course of action should be to seek professional help to handle that. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it uses the term fear. You see what I'm saying? The Bible word in Greek, phobia or phobos, is not the way we're using that word today. The Bible way is either by respect or standing in awe or warning of danger. That's how the Bible is using the word. Now, let's, let's look at this for a while. Fear of God, as taught in the Bible, is clean. It's pure. It was not intended to intimidate anybody or frighten us or make the hair stand up on our arms or cause chill bumps or raise our blood pressure. That's not what the purpose of the fear of God is for. That's not the purpose of it. And God didn't use it in that way. But God did use fear in order to impress people with the fact that they should respect Him and honor Him as the Creator of the universe. In Psalms chapter 86, verse 8 through 12, the psalmist says, Among the gods there is none like unto you, O Lord, neither are there works like your works. All nations that you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You are God alone. Teach me your way, O Lord. I walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. What's he asking us to do? To respect Him. To stand in awe before Him. To make sure that we understand that there are dangers if we cross certain lines and do things we shouldn't do that we'll have to pay the penalty for it. He said, I'll praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I'll glorify your name forevermore. 
God wants us to respect him and treat him as God and not as an equal. When Israel decided that they were equal with God. Now remember Israel, I'm, I'm going to talk about these people that God sent Moses down into Egypt to get. And he brought them out and he took them to a mountain called Sinai. And if you remember the events that took place, and you can pick them up starting in, in the book of Exodus chapter 3. You can pick up the sequence of events that took place. And up to chapter 19, then Moses went up on the mountain and the mountain was on fire. And the clouds were circling it. And the thunder and the lightning were lighting it up and, and, and uh, shaking the ground. The earth was quaking. God was there. Why was this going on? Why was this going on? Was God trying to scare them? Like someone would hide behind a dark corner and jump out and frighten you? Is, is that what God was doing? No. But God was impressing these people with the fact that He was God. And they were man, and they needed to make that distinction. And so he was demonstrating his power. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, All the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak to us, and we'll hear. But don't let God talk to us, lest we die. Moses said unto the people, Fear not, calm down. For God has come to prove you that His fear may be for your faces, that you sin not. Get some respect for God. You are not God. He is God. You are His people. That's basically what was going on. So that you sin not. This was not an, an intimidating situation. This was a reminder that God was, be, was to be respected and reverenced as the creator and majesty of heaven. And this happened several different times different, down through the course of history. God had to remind them, you're man, I'm God, you should not cross this line. Solomon emphasized this also when he said in Ecclesiastes 12:13, he said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter after he set forth all of his prophets, Proverbs, and they set forth this, the words that, that he spoke in, in Ecclesiastes, advice. He said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. What's he saying? Have some respect. He's not saying be intimidated by God. He's not saying being anxious by God, about God. He's saying respect Him. Respect Him. He is God. Reverence Him as the Creator and the Majesty of Heaven. He says... He, he, he wants to fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Now, just like Siegfried and Roy did not do, just like Timothy did not do, the fellow that lived with the bears, just like Valanda did not do, we need to make sure we don't cross a line. And say, well, we're so comfortable with the fact that we can just do anything we want to. There is no danger in slipping off the side of the precipice. We don't have to be intimidated by God. And we're not. But at the same time, we have to understand that there are dangers in our ignoring God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26-30, through 30, it says, If we sin willfully... 
after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. But a certain looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who is trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of covenant wherewith he is sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. God does not use fear to frighten us into obedience and into compliance or intimidation, but He does remind us of the fact that there are consequences, severe consequences, if we do not pay attention to the fact that He is God and that we are man and that we can step over some lines that we know should be our boundary. We should know that. Now, here's what happened. And here's what happens. When, when, when people are overwhelmed by what we would call a fear of God. In other words, I'm frightened, I'm frightened by what's going to happen. I'm frightened that I'm going to go to hell, so I need to get my ducks in order, in a row, and I need to get everything right because I, I don't want to go to hell. And so a lot of pre- preachers over the years have actually dangled people over the fiery pit of hell and let them smell the sulfur from their descriptions. Let them know that God's going to cast you into a burning pit of hell if you don't behave. And so it's sort of like an intimidation. If you don't do it, here's what's going to happen to you. And you're being frightened into that. Well, that's not the way God works. It doesn't mean that He doesn't tell us that there is a hell. But it does mean that we, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a healthy respect for the fact that we could go to hell. But that's not the way he moves us. That's not the way he motivates us. And there, there are reasons for this. Because physical motivation does not last. It doesn't continue. It wears off pretty quick. When, when Moses was talking to Pharaoh, you remember there were ten plagues. And as Moses came and confronted Pharaoh, every plague that Moses promised to Pharaoh had an effect and it made Pharaoh sort of change his mind. Maybe he would be compliant. Then when things got better, Pharaoh changed his mind back. So he'd get another plague. And then when things got better, Moses took it away. He took away the the blood out of the water. He took the the flies and the lice out of the land. He took the frogs out out of the water and out of the people's houses. And he took the the blains and so forth and the boils off of people and the cattle. But when, when, the, when it was hailing and hailstones were falling from the sky and, and actually destroying crops and destroying animals and, and, the, and their, uh, their uh, herds, then Moses came to Pharaoh and he said something interesting here. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 29 and 30, it says, he said to Pharaoh, he said, and this is talking about the hail, the hailstorm. He said to Pharaoh, As soon as I'm gone out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder will cease. It'll quit thundering. Neither shall be there any more hail, that you may know how that the earth is the Lord's. We're going to stop all this. He said, But as for you and your servants, 
I know that you will not fear the Lord God. Your fear is going to wear off. It's not going to last. You're not going to fear the Lord. And he didn't. He challenged God again. We come face to face with the, with the threat of hellfire. And it's there. Revelation 21 verse 8 makes this promise. The fearful, unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's a promise. That's the, that's the edge that we walk up next to, and if we're not careful, we can tip over into it. But being frightened into repentance and compliance historically, does not work. If you're frightened into obedience to God, the time will come when that will wear off and you'll drop back into your former habits. As soon as the psychological effect and the, and the adrenaline wears off, the resolve will dissipate. That type of fear does not last. And it does not last because time dulls the senses. The longer you go, the more familiar you are with it. The fellow I was talking about back in Texas, the, the guy that had the snakes, his name was Gumper. Not Gump, but Gumper. And the longer he dealt with those snakes, the more he got relaxed about it and kind of went along. And the same thing with the fellow, Walanda, who was walking the tightrope. The more he did it, the less fearfully became of it. And pretty soon it was common ordinary thing for him and the guy with the Timothy with the with the bears and, and Roy with the lions and so forth they just after a while the anxiety and the fear wears off so all of a sudden you think well there's no problem it's okay it's not gonna it's not gonna not gonna happen really time dulls the senses takes the edge off the warnings Luke 12, verse 45 and 46 says, If that servant says in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, he shall begin to beat his manservants and his maidens and eat and drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him, and at that hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. What happened? Well, he says, My Lord delays his coming, not coming back. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. He forgets all about it. Second Peter 3, verse 3 through 8 says, Knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. All of a sudden it happened. The flood. He said, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So we can get accustomed to the fact that the Lord hasn't come, judgment isn't here, Let's just go back to what we've been doing before. Physical calamities, in addition to this, physical calamities, although they're used by charlatans, 
and by false teachers to try to promote fear, anxiety, and terror among people. Physical calamities are not used of God in order to intimidate anybody into serving Him. So, God doesn't frighten us into His arms. We often feel comfort when we're experiencing great anxieties and we can flee to God for comfort like a chick gathered under the wings of, of the hen as Jesus told the people in Jerusalem that His Father would have often, like a chicken or a hen gathers the chicks under her wings, He would do that. So He will comfort us. But He's not trying to drive us into His arms by fear. Ignorance and superstition in the cults that practice this are actually feeding on your fear and telling you that terrible things are coming on this earth because of wars, because of famine, because of floods, because of pestilence, like the plague we've been through, and such like. These are not the tools of God to drive you into His arms. That's not, God does not use fear. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's pure. And we've looked at some of these purposes. Putting the misapplied notions of how God employs fear aside, we need to elevate God, and we can elevate God in our hearts above all else. He alone is worthy of our ultimate respect and acknowledgement as the one true God without a peer. He's not going to intimidate you into obedience. He's going to appeal to you. He's already demonstrated His power. Exalt you the Lord our God, Psalms 99.5, and worship at His footstool, for He is holy. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. God could easily demonstrate to us as he did to Pharaoh and to Israel, with the same overall effect. He could demonstrate his power and his majesty, and he could terrorize us, and it would have the same eventual results. We would forget it. We would become inured to it. Instead, he has chosen to appeal to us through other means, through kindness, through mercy, through forgiveness, through tolerance, through love. God shouldn't scare us. He came among us. God came down here, by the way. He came among us as a harmless human being. He appeared in the form of a babe, a baby. Now that's not frightening, is it? Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, He is the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father. He's talking about Jesus. So if we're going to be afraid, we certainly wouldn't be afraid looking down in, into a manger at the harmless babe, Jesus. But that is the everlasting Father. That's the Almighty God. And all during Jesus' life, He never once terrified one person. Never. Never harmed anyone. He didn't quench smoking flax. He didn't even put out a fire. He didn't do anything that would create intimidation in our hearts. Let this mind be in you, Paul said, that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God. 
but made himself of no reputation. You know what the word reputation means? Empty. He didn't have anything. He wasn't a big guy that intimidated people. He didn't come with a booming voice, shattering all the windows around and, and disturbing all the wildlife. He didn't come in that sort of form. He didn't even come like John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was sort of an imposing figure, an impressive figure. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as of man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Only one time in the New Testament do we read of someone suggesting that maybe Jesus ought to do something to, to terrorize some folks. That's James and John. They're called the sons of Boranerges, sons of thunder. They came to a Samaritan village in the book of Luke, book of Luke in chapter 9. They came to that village and said, these, these folks are not accepting you, Lord. Let's call down lightning from heaven. Let's, let's consume these guys. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. You don't, know, you don't know who I am. He didn't do that. When he was taken captive, you know what he said to his captors in Mark chapter 14? He said, don't you know that I can call on my Father and I can give 14 legions of angels to come down and rescue me? That's not what he did. He was not an intimidating individual. At no time did he ever scare his listeners or create anxiety in their hearts. If you have anxiety in your heart about tomorrow, Jesus gives you the encouragement. Be not anxious about the morrow. Don't worry about your food or what you're going to eat or drink. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Jesus was gentle. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But you know what he counseled us? He said, Fear not what man can do unto you. Fear not those that can destroy both you, just your body, but fear him that can destroy your body and soul in hell. He's saying, Have some respect to the one who's going to place you in judgment. It is possible to irritate and to anger God and thus put ourselves in a very precarious position. I want to mention again to you, 1 John 4 verse 18 says, Perfect love cast out fear. Fear has no terror or torment. That does not mean that if you are overwhelmed with anxiety or you are afraid of something, you have a phobia, that does not mean that you're not acceptable with God. What it's telling you is that God should not frighten you. It should not frighten you. God does not scare you. should not scare you. However, we should have respect for Him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 29, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. I can dance along the edge of a precipice and I can scare myself and scare everybody else to death about it. I can do that, but I have to keep re remembering that there is 
a danger and there is a disaster that's there if I ignore the boundaries. And so what he's telling us is we can fear, we need to fear because there is a boundary in our lives and that boundary says quit sinning. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody else around you, you're destroying yourself and God will account for everyone. He'll bring us all into judgment and we'll all give an account. And there is a devil's hell waiting for those who disobey and disregard God. I am not God. He is God. He said there's a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he is sanctified an unholy thing, and has done despite under the Spirit of grace. Jesus' message is, fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul and hell. Have respect unto God and reverence to God who can do that. God help you to fear not man, but have that respect for God that we need to have and that anticipation of consequences if we ignore that. 